what does the freedom of Christ look like? That word, freedom. A word that we hear all the time, but do we really understand what it means? Do we really understand what it means to live into the freedom of Christ instead of just listening to the messages that we hear from our screens? As followers of Christ, it's easy to hide behind this social media image of faith. What people see on the outside is gorgeous and put together, but on the flip side, each part of our life consumes us and makes that ease too much to attain. This perfection in our lives controls us and keeps us bound in chains while the monotonous routine of this world pins us down and makes it too hard to break away. Our brains are muddled with these worldly solutions, but we need to remember that the only solution that can bring real restoration is when we begin to understand our emancipation. When we realize that this freedom comes from Christ alone, our chains will begin to fall. As we dive into the meaning of this idea of freedom, make sure to remember that it's okay to leave these shackles behind and dance in the overwhelming freedom of Christ. Good morning, good morning, church. And what a great morning of worship. I'm just so excited, so thankful, and so full. And many of you know I just returned from Israel being there with a group from our church for uh, two weeks and just incredible. And I just encourage everybody to get the chance at some point to go. You know, we take a group every couple of years and it's amazing just to walk where Jesus walked and see the Bible come to life. And so uh, many of our team is here this morning because we couldn't sleep last night because we got in late. So, you know, our whole clock is off, but uh, it was incredible. It just, it was so thankful for your prayers and what God's doing. Also this morning, we're continuing our series, Set Free to Live Free. We're in Galatians chapter three today. And Kelly mentor is going to come and teach us Galatians chapter 3 this morning. And I'm so thankful for Kelly. Uh, she is an amazing woman of God and she is all over the country. Her Bible studies are all over. She teaches in churches all around. Uh, but what makes her special to me is that she doesn't just teach it, she lives it. And uh, you know, she leads a women's Bible study here every Wednesday morning. And then she is a part of our JMI team that goes to the Amazon at Moldova. And I've just seen God work through her in incredible ways. And so I'm thankful for you, Kelly. I love of serving the Lord with you, and I'm thankful that you're at your home church today, you know, yes, and so I'm that's so a happy. blessing. So, Super excited. welcome, Kelly. Thank Let's you. give her a hand. Thank Thanks. you. All. Amen. Well, it is great to be here with you on a Sunday morning, and I, I if I, we don't believe in luck as believers, but I kind of lucked out that I got the one Sunday where we got the extra hour. So sorry that I robbed you of that, Jeff. It was pretty amazing that he allowed me this particular week. Now, come four o'clock, we're gonna suffer for the next five months, but it was a nice hour that we just got here. So, hey, listen, I'm gonna have you all turn to Galatians chapter three on your device or on your phone this morning. We have a lot to cover. It's a profound chapter. It is what some have called Paul's uh, Galatians is just really like this explosion of the gospel where Paul is so passionate about the freedom and the promise and the joy that we have in the gospel. And, and as you all know, as you're turning to Galatians 3, as you all know from the past couple weeks, by the way, if you missed those, you can catch those online, but from the last couple weeks, we know that Paul was writing to this region of Galatia, primarily to Gentiles, 
who had met the goodness of Jesus. They had come to believe in him and his death and his resurrection through faith and through grace alone. But there were some Judaizers that had come in and it infiltrated them and were trying to persuade them to go back under the law, that what they had received as a promise, they were coming back and saying, but it's Jesus, yes, and it's grace, yes, and it's the cross, yes, but also it's the law of Moses. Also, it's the works of the law. And they were becoming confused. And Paul, you can feel him in this letter. He's about to lose his mind because he does not want to see them go back into this place of bondage. So I want to go ahead and we're just going to read through chapter 3, get this whole chapter in our heads, and then I'm going to jump in uh, with with what I hope will be meaningful for us today. Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law, or is it by believing what you heard, just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness? You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed who is Christ. My point is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise, but God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. 
For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. That is the word of the Lord of Galatians 3 for us this morning. It's an incredible passage. There's a lot here, but Paul begins by asking a series of four questions that I think are really relevant for us this morning. He begins with the problem that he sees in the, in the region of Galatia. He says, first of all, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by faith? He says, you know that Jesus Christ was crucified, that he was resurrected. Did you receive that message by doing the works of the law or did you receive it by faith? And then he, he asks, and after beginning in the spirit, do you want to then continue in the flesh? In other words, you got this by grace. Are you really gonna turn back to the works of the flesh? It would be as though someone comes to you at Christmas time in a couple months and they gift you with a beautiful car and you receive that car, and then you proceed to walk everywhere. You know, Paul's saying, no, I, I, you got this as a gift. Why would you now turn back to the works of the flesh? And then he says, is everything that you have gone through up until this point, is it just all for nothing? And then lastly, he says this, and I love this question. This is always such a good reminder for me. He says, listen, is, is God doing miracles among you? And is he giving you the spirit of his, of his son because of all the good works that you have done? Or is it because you have believed him? Is he doing these amazing things because of what you've tried to earn or because of your faith? And it's a rhetorical question. Paul wants everybody there to see this is all by faith. This is all the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the problem is, is that the Judaizers, they were going back into the Old Testament and they were going back to Moses and the law. So Paul uses an illustration. He takes a, a page out of their own book, out of his own Old Testament, and he says, instead of going back to Moses and the law, how about we go back even further to Abraham? How about we start there? Now, this would have been very significant to the Jewish people because Abraham is the father of Israel. He's the, I mean, everything about Israel and the Jews, it goes all the way back to Abraham. Everything begins with him. And so Paul reminds us that in Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham and he said, and at that time his name was Abram, and he said, Abram, I'm going to take you out of this, this foreign land and I'm going to put you, I'm going to take you to the promised land and I'm going to bless you and through you a great nation will come. We now know it was the nation of Israel. A great nation will come and through you and through that one nation I will bless all the nations of the earth. It was a promise was not based on anything that Abraham had earned or that he had done, it was a promise. But then Paul cites another passage out of Genesis chapter 15 because a few years go by and guess what? Nothing has happened. Abraham's wife, Sarah, the Bible says very nicely that she was old in years. That is the very diplomatic way or well along in years. That's the diplomatic way of saying she was really old and she was barren. And so Abraham comes to the Lord and he goes, Lord, I know you made this promise for me, but my wife's like 100 years old and I'm like 100 years old. And I, there's no way that, that through me and through her that, that there's going to be these descendants. I mean, this is impossible. And God leads Abraham out into the night sky, probably very close to where Jeff and a lot of our congregation was the last two weeks. And the stars 
are everywhere in the sky, innumerable, absolutely countless. And God says, Abraham, listen, I'm telling you, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sky. Your offspring will be more numerous, absolutely unable to be counted. And Paul reminds us that Abraham believed God, believed that what God said would happen. In fact, in Romans, Paul says that he hoped against hope, that he believed him and that God credited righteousness to his account based on that belief. There was nothing that Abraham did to drum that up. He didn't do anything for that offspring to come. He simply believed God, and God deposited righteousness to his account. So Paul wants to let both the, the, the uh, Gentile believers and the Jews know, listen, the promise came before the law. The promise came before Moses. And so he roots us back in the promise. Now, what we see here this morning is that God made a promise to Abraham and he kept that promise through Christ. Actually announced the gospel in advance. He made a promise to Abraham, but we're gonna see throughout our text that he kept that promise through Christ. Paul goes on to talk about the law in, in, in ways that do not appear very positive. He goes, what's even more, we just read about it, he said, what's more is that anybody who lives under the law is cursed. You saw all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, why? Because the only way to satisfy the law is to live to, up to the law perfectly. And so unless you were able to live the law in the Old Testament perfectly, that was the only way that you could be justified. And Paul says, obviously, clearly, nobody can be justified through the law. In fact, you're under a curse. In James 2.10, James says that if you break the law in even one place, you've broken the whole thing. So if you think about the 613 Old Testament laws that were put in place, and you think about each of those laws being a little link in the chain, if you just break one of those, you've broken the whole thing. So Paul says this is an absolute curse to live under the law. Then he goes on to say that the law came 430 years after the promise, and when the promise was put in place, there was nothing that could invalidate it. There was nothing that could overturn it. Paul reminds us this morning that nothing in our lives, not even the curse of the law, can overturn God's promise. Now we know from other parts of scripture that the law is written in our hearts. And there are some of you today, and there are some of you like myself at different times where we, we put ourselves back under the law and we wrestle with it and we sometimes feel like the curse of the law is going to undo us. That, that, that the places that we have fallen short and the things that we have done and the guilt and the shame that, that chases after us, we, we feel like it will be, we will be totally undone. But Paul reminds us in this passage that, that the curse of the law, in fact, nothing in our lives, not even the curse of the law, can overthrow or can invalidate the promise of God, which is great news. 
So we're thinking, okay, this is great. I'm, so, I'm super ex- excited about this. I'm so thankful about the, the, the promise. But then we have to ask ourselves, well, but why the law then? I, I mean, if you've done any studying in the Old Testament, you see that the law and the law of Moses is a really significant part of the Old Testament. And so why would the law have to be, why did it have to come anyway? Why couldn't we have just gone straight from Abraham to Jesus? Why, this, why this, this long, arduous law? Well, Paul answers that question for us. In fact, he, he answers it for us in verse 19. Why was the law given? Well, it was added for the sake of transgressions or the sake of sin until the seed to whom the promise was made would come, until Jesus would come. It was added because of sin. Uh, I, <clears throat> the law we'll see here, it exposes our sin, but it doesn't fix our sin. I mean, it exposes it, but it doesn't cure us from it. It was given because we were lawbreakers. Now, there are a couple different illustrations that Paul uses that we'll get to in the moment, but in one sense, we see that the law came to mitigate sin, to lessen it. There was chaos everywhere in the Old Testament, and the law would help create some peace. I remember, this is about 10 years ago, there was a family from Iraq that had come as refugees and they were living in Nashville and I had gotten to know them and I had them over for dinner one night and I asked the, the, the woman that was there, I asked her, I said, so okay, you guys have been in America for about six months. You, you grew up born and raised in Baghdad. You've been in America for six months. What's your favorite thing about America? I mean, like, what do you love about living here? And this fast, she said, the law. I love the law. And I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry, I don't don't know that I'm following. And she goes, I love that there are laws here, that there are rules here, because in Baghdad, there are bombs going off. People are stealing, people are killing people. There's no justice, there's no righteousness. Nobody gets thrown in jail for doing the wrong things and the right people get thrown in jail and it's, it's awful. And she said, here there are laws, there are rules. And and it restores some order. And it was so funny because when I asked her that question, I was sure she was going to say like TJ Maxx, you know, like Jenny's ice cream, Top Golf. Like what? I mean, I was I was waiting, and I just wasn't ready for the law. But we see that Paul is telling us, listen, the law is super incomplete, and it's it doesn't have the ability to give life. But there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with it. it. It can actually mitigate. The, the effects of sin, it can bring some order. But then Paul also says in this passage that it actually imprisons us. And, and in Romans 5.20, he says that the law came so that trespasses and sin would actually increase. You go, well, that's kind of weird. But do you know that on July 1st, 2019, <clears throat> the state of Tennessee passed a new law, some of you all know which one it was, that you could not hold a cell phone while driving a car. You could talk on it through a Bluetooth device, but you couldn't hold it. It was a new law that came into effect. Why did it come into effect? Because of the trespasses. Because you and I, we could not control ourselves in the car from checking that text, from sending that text, from throwing that last second filter on the Instagram photo before we posted it. This, this new law came. Well, 
we weren't two weeks into this law having passed, and I was at the end of my street, and I was at a stop sign, and I was on the phone talking through Bluetooth, and I couldn't really hear the person, and so I picked up my phone. And right at that moment, because this is how my entire life goes, there was a policeman on a motorcycle that came flying around the corner, and he stops me immediately. And he goes, uh, ma'am, you know that it's legal to now hold your phone while driving a car. Now let me tell you what I did not say. I did not say, well, okay, three weeks ago, this would have been fine. I haven't changed. My behavior has not changed. Everything that I've been doing for the last 10 years was totally fine. Now all of a sudden, you guys changed and I'm in trouble. I did, I did not say that. Because you know what, he let me off and he would not have left me off if I had said that. But the point being is that the law in that case stirred up sin. It stirred up the offense. I was totally fine to do this in June of 2019, but because the law changed, I didn't change, the law changed, and now all of a sudden, this is a problem. It stirred it up. So we have both things going on. In some ways, the law lessens the, the proliferation of sin, but in some ways, that law stirs it up. And so we're a little perplexed here because, because we're like, well, wait a minute, Paul. I mean, if, if the law and, and, and the promise are opposed to one another, if the inheritance does not come from the law, but it comes from the promise, then, then the law must be bad. And Paul says, no, it's not bad. It is powerless to save. It's powerless to give life. It is incomplete. It is also temporary but it is necessary, and we're gonna see why in just a moment. I love what Paul says in verse 22. Um, he says, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. What's, what's happening here? See, we needed the law to show us that we were lawbreakers, to show us that we desperately needed a savior. Um, when I was playing basketball in high school as a sophomore, the very first game of my season, with 30 seconds left in the game, I got tangled up with some other players and I went down to the ground and I broke my ankle. The thing is, is that I didn't know for sure I had broken it. I knew I was in a ton of pain, but I didn't know I had broken it until I had the x-ray. Now, when I got in with the doctor, he shows me the x-ray, and there's nothing wrong with the x-ray. The x-ray is, is not bad. It's not good. It just, but it, it showed me. It was a diagnostic tool to show me what was broken, to show me what was wrong with me, but it had no power to fix it. I, I would need the doctor to come in and to actually fix it for me, to set it, to get it straight again. The x-ray just merely told me where I was broken, told me where I needed help where I needed a surgeon. And that is in some sense what Paul is saying, that the temporary law all those years was pointing us to show us that we desperately needed a savior. It was to show us what was broken, but it was powerless to do anything about what was broken. Some of us today, we, we know, we know we're broken, not just because of the law, of the Old Testament and 
the law in the New Testament, which says that the whole Old Testament law is, is summed up in loving God with all your heart, uh, heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. But we also know that the, the law is written in our hearts, and we know where we have failed it. And it reminds us every day. But it leads us to Christ. It leads us to Christ. That is the purpose. It leads us to a Savior. And so we've talked about the promise. We've talked about the law. And now I want us to look at the person of Jesus in this text. Jesus is mentioned 11 times, either by the name Jesus or by the seed. But just in this chapter, Paul points us to Jesus 11 different times. And I just want to look at two verses, verses 13 and 14. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. See, the law was temporary. If you, if you look beyond those verses, Paul says the law would come until Jesus, until the promise, until faith. But here, because of Jesus, the only possible way that we could be freed from the condemnation and the curse of the law was by Jesus Christ becoming a curse for us. And it was those two words that really moved me this week, for us that Jesus Christ became a curse for you, that Jesus Christ became a curse for me so that I would no longer be under the curse of the law, but so that I could be a son of God, so that I could have the inheritance of God through Christ Jesus, so that I could be free to live without the guilt, without the shame that constantly tries to weigh us down, that tries to burden us. What we see here this morning is that the law exposes our sin but has no power to deal with it. But Jesus justifies us from our sin and gives us the promised spirit. Do you see that? The law exposes our sin but it has no power to do anything about it. Jesus became a curse for you and me in order to justify us from our sin and give us the promised spirit. Paul is reminding us this morning that there is nothing that we can add to this. There's no, there's no good work that we can add to it. There's no good deed that we can add to it. I want you to come to Wednesday morning Bible study if you're a woman, but that is not going to, to, to get you an extra point. It's not gonna get you extra merit. It's not gonna help you earn anything. We are totally dead, cursed, apart from Jesus Christ. And the law is not contrary to the promise. In fact, it shows us, it points us that we need the promise. And, and, and as, as I just kept sitting in this chapter all week, it was, it, it, sometimes it was confusing because it's like, well, we want the promise and the law isn't sufficient. But what we see is that actually the promise guaranteed Jesus, but the law led us to Jesus. So we see that both, even though the promise is far superior, both are working in tandem with one another. So if you came in 
this morning and you feel under the curse of the law because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I wanna let you know that that feeling, that weight is not necessarily a bad thing in so long as it leads you to the gift of Jesus Christ. In so long as it leads you to walk away knowing that because of his death and resurrection, you are covered, you are free, you are forgiven. And not just that, but you now have the spirit of the living God living inside you, powerful to do miracle, miraculous things around you. The gospel message is not just for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is the message that we need every day to show us how to live in the kingdom of heaven. This is not just like, oh, I've got the gospel. That's right, I, I walked a, an aisle several years ago where I believed that message and now, I'll, thanks Jesus, but I'll take it from here. We need the gospel every single day. We need this every single day so we can live the life that Jesus has called us to live. Um, this past week, in fact, it was just a couple days ago, uh, I had the opportunity to do a little cooking segment on the Hallmark Home and Family show in Los Angeles. Some of you know Regina Pinto from this congregation, and she and I did a cookbook together, and so somehow I find myself on this cooking show, and she is the real chef. I, I'm just kind of the author of this, and, and, and now all of a sudden I'm having to do this cooking demonstration uh, on the show. But anyway, it was an interesting experience because it was on Universal Studios lots in, in L.A., and, and so as I was getting ready for this message last night, I'm going to bed, I'm looking for my lipstick in my, in my purse, and, and, uh, and, and I, find, I, I find this last night at about 11 o'clock at night. And this was my little pass to get into Universal Studios' lot, because you can't get through that gate unless you're a celebrity, or you work on one of the shows, or you're Ellen DeGeneres, or whatever, or you have this little visitor pass because I don't, I'm not any of those other things. And, and so I, I, I show the pass and, and they let me in, but when I, when I realized this morning is that it says very clearly that this pass expires on 10-31-2019. So that means that if I get on a plane and head to LA today and try to show this at the gate, I'm out. This is over. This doesn't work any longer just temporary. Just one day, I got to live it up on the Hallmark Home and Family Show. Just one day. It was temporary. The law, it was temporary. It was never supposed to be something that we lived under forever. It expired. It expired when Jesus Christ came. And Paul says, don't go back under the temporary, don't go back under what condemns. That was simply meant to lead you. But there's more. We read it, but in verse 27, Paul says, you were baptized into Christ, you've been clothed with Christ, and now there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise that we are children. And no 
you will not get access to Universal Studios when you come to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Oh, it's so much better than that. You become a child. You become an heir. You're not a visitor. You're not just visiting. You, you, you have all the inheritance, everything about the kingdom, everything that is in Jesus Christ, the hope to live a totally different life, the hope to live free, the hope to be transformed, the joy of seeing the Lord literally do true miracles around you, the hope of not having to live under guilt and shame. You are now a child. You're not a visitor. You don't need to have a pass. You don't need to show your good works at the door. You don't need to show your good deeds. It doesn't expire. It is eternal. You're an heir today. So this is the message. This is the message of Jesus Christ. This is the message of the gospel. And, and, and it's not just for heaven when you die. It's for right now. And I will tell you that I needed Galatians 3 this week. Every time Pastor Jeff asks me if I'll take a message, I always feel like it's the hardest chapter in the Bible. It doesn't matter where we are, if it's in Esther, if it's in Matthew, or if it's in Galatians. I always feel like, now Jeff, are you doing this on purpose? Are you giving me the most difficult chapter in the Bible? But I realize that in some ways, it's, it, it all requires study. It's not that it's so difficult as much as it's so deep and it's so powerful. And if today, if you're having a hard time believing that Jesus Christ became a curse for you, if you're having a hard time believing in the promise, I want to encourage you to study the word. Be in the word. I got to be in Galatians 3 all the way home from L.A. I got to be in Galatians 3, um, you know, in car rides and, and in my house. I got to be in it yesterday. I, I missed a really important football game yesterday because I got to be in Galatians 3 because I needed this message. We'll wrap up here. We often find it easier to earn a reward than to receive a promise. Why is that true? Why is it true that we often find it easier to earn something than we do to simply just receive the promise that God has given us? If you're having a hard time receiving that promise, meditate in Galatians. Read it over and over and over and over and over again until it seeps into your very being. If you are a believer and you're a Christ follower, and you started off with the miracle of the gospel. In fact, I love sitting next to Grace and I love all these young people. I say, I say young because that's, that's changing for me really, really quickly. And I see these young people this morning and they're dancing at the worship and their hands are up and they're twirling around and they're excited because they're starting off in the spirit. You're starting off in the spirit. And it's a, it's, it's a convicting to me because I'm watching you guys like, they're, they like know, you know, it's a promise, it's a gift, we're in this. And what I want to say to you and what I want to say to us today is that don't, let's, not, let's not go back. Let's not go back under the law in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s and our 80s. Last thing this morning, don't try to finish in your own power what God has begun in his spirit. The good work that God has begun in his spirit, let's don't go back and try to finish that off. What miracles does he want to work among you? What, what does he want the Spirit to do in your life today? 
Let's go this week in the power of the Spirit. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be in such a powerful chapter, an explosive chapter of the gospel. Lord, I confess that it is sometimes confusing for me to see how the promise and the law all fit together, but what I know is that what you promised to Abraham, you fulfilled in Jesus, and the law of Moses just helped point us in the right direction. Lord, there's nothing that we bring to the table today, nothing, nothing, except for you, Jesus, clothed. There's nothing that we can do to qualify ourselves. There's nothing we can do to disqualify ourselves. It is all in you. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, and female. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, set us free today. For those who have never placed their trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day that, 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 that several people in this room would say, I bring nothing to this Jesus. My faith and my hope and my forgiveness is in you and it is in you alone and I, I don't add anything to it. And for those of us who are Christ followers but who have fallen back into guilt and to shame and to trying to earn our own way or trying to please you by mustering up our own strength, we go back to where we started today in the spirit. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.